Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in a power greater than what you are going through when you don't know what to do. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and from the Big Apple in New York all the way down into Fire Island, New York. Welcome to all my listeners out there. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely host, Adrian Griffin at caregiverspace.org. And we're coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio podcast networks on 26 global audio video platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Freaker, SoundCloud, Video, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, and a whole bunch more. In fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast on the top 50 on Player FM, and number two caregiver podcast on Spot out of the top 60, and number two caregiver podcast on Caring Village Club. And we have an especially exciting show planned for today, don't we, Yes, we do. Margaret Cole, five key factors to help post-traumatic stress disorder victims to learn. Before we get started, I want to thank my last week's guest, Ken Rayo, who's an author, lifelong entrepreneur, philanthropist, senior care advocate who lives in Lee Summit, Missouri, paying for long-term care, understanding your options. And it's a show you don't want to miss. And just to remind you, you can... Watch and listen to all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 networks that I mentioned earlier. Okay, enough of that. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. I always like to ask my guests just who is Margaret Combs and why was she placed on this? Who is Margaret Combs? I am a lifetime businesswoman who retired only to have a new mission thrust upon me. And I say that in a very positive way. Um, I had a young friend who was a physician in the, in the armed services. He had run aid stations in Iraq, and he had um, then been an underwater medical specialist with the SEALs, and he committed suicide after talking to me day in and day out. And that changed. That it changed who I am. It is all too common a story for veterans, unfortunately. Yeah. And, of course, they're not doing everything that they can be doing. Uh, they're getting better, but they're a long way to go. So um, we met in New York, right? Right. We did. It seems like a hundred years ago. <laughs> sorry, <it laughs> a lot's so happened long. since then. Yeah, sorry it took so long to get you on the show. And probably the this uh, topic you're speaking about is even more um, of interest to people now than it was when we met, because things have only gotten worse with COVID and with Afghanistan. And uh, why don't you give us an update on just what's been going on since we met? That makes well, it a little harder. You know, when we met, 
my big concern was the whole issue of PTSD and veteran suicide had fallen off the cliff because COVID was in the foreground. And yet it wasn't changing. The suicide numbers were only going up, not going down. About 7,300 of our veterans committed suicide last year. That's more, that's more than double the number that actually died in combat in Afghanistan. And so because I do know, and I spent four years researching what kind of treatments are out there and what can be done, um, I became focused on getting this subject back into the conversation in this nation. And well, we all know what's happened in the last two weeks. And to be honest with you, it increased my level of concern because one of the problems when someone has PTSD is that they feel useless. They feel that they can't trust themselves because they never know when their brain will become their enemy. And, and they look back at what they did. And by the way, for many of them, that was one of the best times of their lives. They felt productive. They were doing, they had friends, they had buddies, they were all working to help our country. And then suddenly our country doesn't help itself. And yes, I have spoken to several. I have spoken to the head of probably one of the best treatment programs in the country. And everyone is concerned that this is going to cause an increase in suicide numbers, and it raises the urgency to get treatment programs out there available, good treatment programs for those that are still suffering. It's just sad. Shocking and sad. Um, yeah. Let's talk about uh, PTSD and how it's different from uh, caring for someone who's physically ill in a category of its own? Yes, it is. Um, you know, when we care for someone or someone cares for someone who's physically ill, it's evident what's wrong. And it doesn't change from day to day, except if it's getting better or getting worse. But it's, it's not perfectly normal one day and then back the next. Um, with PTSD patients, it is something that is triggered. He, he or she may be fine and suddenly something will trigger a response in their brain from what they lived through or what they saw. And whatever it is, once it triggers it, then they go back there. And they have to cope with it and find their way out. And if you've ever been with anyone who has gone through a triggered response and you've seen it, it's it for a caregiver. It has got to be very frustrating because they can't see that anything's wrong, but they see this person do a 180 and they totally change who they are. And then the caregiver has got to somehow or other 
remain positive and bring them back to where they were, as opposed to changing a bandage or doing the many things that a physical person, it, 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 is, it is less physical and more mental to be a caregiver for a PTSD victim. Yeah. I never really thought of it that way. That's very interesting. Um, what personality impact can you expect PSD to have had a person who deals with um, you know, I've, I've interviewed dozens and I've had several that work with me and uh, that are in a little group that we have. And for some of them, they'll be alive, bright, active, so forth. And suddenly everything changes in their personality and they're somber, and they're negative, and they're having trouble literally putting one foot in front of the other to accomplish anything. But that's why the role of the caregiver that is so often either a parent or a spouse is so critical because if the PTSD victim had their way, they would go into a closet and close the door and stay there um, until they can work their way through. Um, and yet there is nothing worse for them than to be isolated because then all of the issues come to the fore and they begin to think about that's when suicide begins to become an option for them. So the caregiver has to be one of the most patient people in the world, also non-judgmental, and somebody who can help them into finding a purpose, uh, finding something they need to do, um, and virtually changing their life. Uh, the spouse is often the caregiver to the PSD veteran, yes? The, the veteran with PTSD who is coping with it, um, there are so many in so many situations. They come out of the military where they have structure. And yes, they may be, may be having some of these triggered events, but they have things they have to do. They have a purpose. They have structure. They have others that they're accountable to, and they go ahead and do it. And one day it's the day to be discharged. And they're brought in, and a few questions are asked, and they're discharged. And suddenly, for those who are in the service who do not suffer with this, they go ahead, plan their lives, build their lives. But those who are dealing with PTSD are so aware of what might happen that the idea of planning and building a life is very, very difficult. And then they have no structure, which means they have nothing to do. And it begins to spiral. And it, for many, it gets much worse. And that's why we have so many of them that are homeless and living on the streets because they've lost the ability to do for themselves.
I was hearing about these uh, soldiers who would come home and they would kill their wives or try to kill their wives. Uh, and in fact, this happened to my niece, married a, they were both in the military, both went to Iraq, and uh, she came home first. And when he came home, uh, many times they'd be sleeping and he would wake up and, and start choking her and, uh-huh. you know, had to snap out of it before he realized that it was his wife. That's pretty uh-huh. common. Yeah, I'm afraid it is. And, you know, I'd like to say that, that this is new to the post 9-11 war, but it's not. Um, men have come back from combat for years with what was called shell shock. And I have a, a friend who was a Vietnam vet. He was a Marine colonel known him for 20 years. And um, it was only a few months ago that he admitted to me that he still goes to a meeting every week. And without that meeting to keep him centered, he doesn't know where he'd be. So it's not new. It's just so much more prevalent. And gee, it finally got a name. Um, So we understand it more. And as time goes on, there are programs finally being developed that are doing good things, uh, but it's getting those who are hiding away and who are trying to survive in families to get into those programs that is so so key and so critical. Yeah. Adrian, do you have any experience with uh, PTSD? Uh, one of your groups deal with them or you know anybody personally who's had it and their experience? No, I I don't uh, myself. Within the groups, there certainly are wives of vets who who are going through it. Yeah. Is it is it a mental illness? Um, because <laughs> mental illness is taking on a whole new meaning, a whole new definition, and. Um, you know, we don't really know what is and what isn't anymore. Uh, and if it isn't, uh, what's the difference between that well, and mental That's a big issue. It's a really big issue. The reason it's a big issue is that because for so long, the only treatment that the VA or anyone else had were the same treatments that they had. The, you, know, you put them through psychology and psychiatry, those same treatments that they had for the various forms of mental illness. And no, it is not a mental illness. It is a, a physical thing that has happened in the brain. And does anybody really understand it? A few people are getting there, but it is a response. In fact, several of the, the vets that I, I work with say to me, Margaret, it is not a disorder. It is the brain's response to a stimula. And whatever that stimula is reminds them of something they have seen or been through or their survivor's guilt that triggers a different behavior. It triggers a change in personality. Um, The psychology treatments and the psychiatric treatments my young friend who committed suicide had been in a, he was, remember, he was a doctor and he was put in a psych ward in a big naval hospital. 
and it only made matters worse. So I, I'm really not sure we, we know what to call it yet, but it's not like schizophrenia or the other typical medical, typical mental illnesses. Um, it is a response. It never goes away. But what, what the hope is, not the hope, but the knowledge is that veterans can learn to cope with it. They can learn to know when it's coming, deal with it, go through it, and come out the other side and go about living their lives. So in that way, there is a way to get much better, and that's the learning to cope with it and put it in its proper place in their lives. That's was my next question. What, what treatment is currently working? Physical treatment, psychological treatment? And well, it's really interesting. There was a, a, a research study. In fact, Bernie Marcus of Home Depot fame um, commissioned a research study of all of the treatment programs in this country. And there are eight uh, in the Southeast and Arizona that use a program or a curriculum they call Warrior Path. Now, the interesting part about it, uh, and I've, I happen now to be on the board of one of those programs, but the interesting part about it is when it was being put together by a group of eminent psychiatrists, doctors, and military people, um, when, when they started doing it, they went back and found that Indian warriors, when they came back from battle, I'm talking about American Indians, were not allowed back in the village until they went through a program, what we call a program, to begin to shed their warrior attitude Mm -hmm. and begin to be able then to come back into the village and be father, son, whatever. So Warrior Path has some of the elements of that, as well as a number of others. And as I say, it is, uh, it is proving to be the most successful in the country. It is a week with seven other vets, and then 18 months of curriculum, where these eight vets are in touch on a daily basis and um, it's working for people. And as I say, there are eight of them in the country and soon to be more available across the nation. I think that's fantastic. It's, it sounds like it's a, a reflex. Uh, it, so, you know, it's reactive. So it's, it, it's a reflex. Yes, it is. And um, my, we studied reflexive actions in chimps, and um, <laughs> a reflex. Oh, well, hey! <laughs> very strong thing, and decompression is part is part of what uh, is a resolution. So what you what you're saying really resonates. Well, that's that's the foundation of this of what's called warrior path. And it has an extra H on path. That's what makes it a little unique, but that's the foundation of the beginning of the program. The other thing it does is it sees to it that they are no longer isolated, but they have seven others 
that they can call and talk to at any time that they need help. That's a big, so they become each other's caregivers. That's a big part of it. What percentage of post-traumatic uh, stress disorder patients consider themselves healed? Would you, would you ask me that again? What percentage of the PTSD patients would ever consider themselves totally healed? Something that oh, you none. None. It, it never goes away. But so the totally is the issue. Those that consider themselves better are those that have learned to cope. Uh, have learned to deal with, with the event when it happens and go back into their life. It's like taking a breather. So, but the answer of that is none. So this is like a traumatic experience, like a rape. Like a, a rape will change a woman's life. She may never, ever get over. Right. Well, you know, it is post-traumatic stress happens to all kinds of people, not just, not just our veterans. Post meaning after the event. After the event. And sometimes, interestingly enough, it doesn't come upon people until much later. Something later will trigger it. Yeah. And uh, suddenly they find um, something happening that they don't recognize. Um. So, how how would you say the families of of uh, PTSD patients can react to this? Can they help in any way? Can they how do they oh. find out what the triggers are? Actually, they are. When I list my five factors, they're right in the middle, and frankly, they can be extraordinarily helpful. Or they can be extraordinarily harmful. I tell a story of being asked to speak to a gentleman who was a university professor and who had a son who had PTSD. And the first words out of his mouth were, my son is a graduate of XYZ University. He's an extraordinary young man, and he's waiting on tables at the Waffle House. And the judgment was just oozing out of him. And we talked for a while, and I've, my last statement to him was, what he needs is a supportive parent, not a judge. And interestingly enough, you would have thought that would have ended that relationship, but it's gone on and, and things have gotten better and, and uh, we've stayed in touch. But parents cannot expect these men or women to be as the same they were before they left to go into the military. They will never be the same. They will be new people and it's how supportive the parents are or the spouses that will determine what the relationship is going forward. How about the children? A supportive spouse. And by the way, 
most of these warrior path programs also have programs for the spouses Mm -hmm. and the children to help them to understand how to help their husband and father, because children need to understand as well. And those retreats are very successful and have helped a lot of couples to stay together. And they also have parents' retreats. So those caregivers have an opportunity to learn how to make things better. Yeah, that was the question I was going to ask. Uh, not getting along with them, are there other options rather than just moving out? You know, a lot of them have moved out and they're on their own. Should they be living by themselves? You're absolutely right. But what they tend to do when they've moved out, quote unquote, well, there are a couple of ways they tend to go. Um, I live in a city that has one of the largest VA facilities in the country. And we have a number because there are some meds that give them some ease. And um, we have a number of them living on the streets and it breaks my heart, but they choose to do that, but they live together. There'll be a group of them together because they understand each other and they can be close to the, the, the VA to get their medications. Um, it is, it is the wife who understands how to be the caregiver who keeps her husband, who, who gives him the support that he needs so that he doesn't move out. But unfortunately, nobody gave a lot of wives that information ahead of time. Little by little now, it's changing and getting better. Uh, it's such a, an exhausting <laughs> topic. It's tiring just talking. Um, you know, you know, many spouses who are handling it good and some who are not handling it good. Um, do half of them end up in divorce? Do half of them end up uh, reconciling? What are the statistics? To be very honest with you, I don't think there are any statistics and I have looked for them. I have met, I have met uh, vets whose wives have push them out I have and of course they always will tell me but but I'm getting better and I think we can reconcile one of the things I do in the book I wrote is because we I focus in the book it's it's a novel it's what I call fact-based fiction Mm -hmm. and it weaves all of the important elements through the care of the vets and one of the things is that their families are kind of kept at bay for a little while until they're ready to cope with them. And the families get some education. But um, in real life, I have talked to vets who have gone through some good treatment and whose wives have welcomed them back. I've talked to others who hope their wives will. Um, I've talked to women who, who have, by the way, there are women with PTSD. It's not just men. 
um, because we had women serving. I mean, wow. this last thing, there were two women killed in the 13. Um, and they, they suffer a little. Or not Are they more what? Likely to get. Um, no, actually less likely. The percentage is much smaller of so, women with it. At, at what point would you say uh, the spouse knows that they're in physical danger and, and that their returning vet is, is a violent threat? Um, the PTSD vet is very seldom almost never violent um, because remember their, their first approach, their first approach is to be alone, to stay alone because they are afraid that they will do something that will hurt somebody else. Um, if there's any violence, it is with themselves um, from a, a night terror and they'll wake up. And, and maybe have been thrashing and so forth. Um, they understand I me. Mean, they're, they're normal guys and gals who just deal with these episodic situations. But they understand that. Um, and, but they do, they do tend to want to isolate themselves more so that others won't be hurt or involved. And yeah. we've found that, and that's really not the best thing for them. So they're more likely to isolate and uh, as opposed to become a threat or hurt someone. Yeah. And, and isolation is like poison to them because, you know, if you have something wrong and you're busy with other people, you don't focus on what is wrong. If you're by yourself, you may tend to focus more on what you think is wrong. And so that isolation is dangerous for them because you know, they don't hurt other people. They hurt themselves. And too often uh, it's, it's the end. Mm. Is there anything that uh, you had wished that I asked you that I had not asked you yet <laughs> that needs to be? Well, I will let me give you the five the five factors because I think for your listeners and the caregivers to understand those five factors is important. We talked about isolation and the fact that that's poisonous to them and families shouldn't let them isolate themselves. Um, the other thing they need is structure because they've been in a structured environment and suddenly they're out of it. And they don't have anything they need to do. There's a great book by an admiral, William McRaven, called Make Your Bed. And that <laughs> book basically, Make Your Bed. It's a simple thing, but it's part of a structure of living. And that's what the book is about. And um, they need a structure. They need to know they have to do this, 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 and this. Obviously, the family issues and getting the families to understand and be positive, not negative with them. The fourth thing they need is a purpose. And the problem is they had a purpose. And then suddenly they're out of the military and they don't have a purpose anymore. 
And a caregiver can be wonderful at helping that individual find a new purpose, whether it's volunteering or whether it's any number, a, a good hobby, whatever, but they need a purpose. And the final thing that is so seldom recognized is that they need to learn to be grateful. Mm -hmm. Gratitude is one of the things that takes every one of us out of ourselves and gives it to what we are grateful for. And that's the final thing. And it's the hardest thing for them to learn. But once they do, they stop their issues and are grateful for the people around them or whoever it is or whatever it is mm. that they find to have to be grateful for. So those are the five things. Thank you so much, Margaret. I can't believe uh, how fast this hour has gone. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners how they can reach you if you want some information? Well, I have a website that is uh, www.vets-ptsd.com. Pretty simple. Uh, all of the information is on that website. Um, and some videos that one of my vets made, when I call them my vets, people I work with, um, that are pretty extraordinary. Um, and all of my contact information is on that website. It's vets-ptsd.com. Adrian, uh, how can I listen to you if they want to learn more about the caregiver space? Well, uh, go to the caregiverspace.org, www.caregiverspace, thecaregiverspace.org, and you write me at that address if you want to. Adrian at thecaregiverspace.org. And again, a reminder, all our live shows become recorded podcasts, videocasts on all our platforms, like uh, Blog Talk Radio, many others, and also my membership website, caregiverdave.com, free membership support community with lots of free gifts and resources. Adrian also has chat rooms and lots of support on her caregiverspace.org. Um, please click the like button below on whatever platform you happen to be watching, listening to. It helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine algorithms. Again, to all my listeners out there, thank you again for tuning in each and every week. So until next week, same time, may God richly bless Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Great show. Thank you very much. I'll get this all cleaned up and send it to you. Well, thank you. That'll be great. You all are terrific together. Hope you had as much fun as we did. Yeah, I'm spit. She's polished. <laughs> well, it, yes, I did. And I enjoyed it. And I, I yeah. hope that some people got some information that will help. I think they did. Good. Adrian, nice to meet you. You too. And uh, thank you both. You've both been terrific. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Good night, Dave. Good night, Adrian. Good. Good night. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. 
There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing us. 